Hi, I'm Candace Michelle, and this is Our Community. Joining me again today is Diana Cooper, Executive Director of Brookings Core Response. Yesterday was the pit count, and we're going to talk about what that is and why it's important for the economy of our county. But first, I wanted to talk a little bit about the special session that City Council meeting is happening on Monday, January 30th at 5.30 at City Hall. At this meeting, the council will be authorizing the mayor to sign a brand new contract with Janelle Howard and bring her back as our city manager. Just a reminder that Miss Howard was arrested in July for theft at Fred Myers, was put on full paid administrative leave for the past seven months as her court date kept getting postponed, and finally, at the end of December, Miss Howard pleaded no contest to a reduced charge and was ordered to pay restitution to Fred Meyer of $15.98 and a fine of $500. The city council has decided they want to reinstate her in her job as city manager, making this decision in spite of adamant objections from the community, including letters to the editor and the pilot, posts on Facebook, and in-person testimony during a previous council meeting where an increase in her pay was on the agenda. And in spite of the fact that she was arrested by Brookings police officers, charged by our district attorney, and pleaded no contest to a reduced charge, which is in essence an admission of guilt. It certainly isn't a plea of not guilty. There's something distinctly rotten in Denmark. I'd like to urge people to show up for the council meeting, 5.30, Monday night, and let the council know your feelings. I doubt that it will change anything, but we do need to stand up and speak when something is wrong. That's Monday, January 30th at 5.30 at City Hall. You can go to the city website, brookings.or.gov, to look up the agenda and fill out a form to speak. All right, that's enough of my soapboxing for now. <laughs> I've been in every one of the executive sessions that the council has held since July. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't even tell you how many hours that has been. In the last two weeks, there were four executive sessions that lasted a total of four, eight, twelve, fourteen hours. Yeah, that yeah, that sounds about right. It seems like every time I need to call you, I call and you text me, and you're like, "Sorry, an executive session." Sorry, like, I'm in executive uh, session again. I hope and, they're buying you, know, you they guys don't all dinner. Want there. me there, but as I am media, they have to let me in. I'm not allowed to report on anything I hear, so you know, I yeah. I so kind what of can have been, what do you do? You're just there to you just there to hear. I guess I'm there to be a witness so oh, that yeah. if things go completely south, I can say, yo, mm-hmm. things are going south, which is kind of what I'm saying right now. I, I can't actually tell you what things are going south, right? right? <laughs> or, or what the decisions well, are that but, are going south. But you kind of don't really have to because, and I haven't been following all of um you know, all of the sessions. I haven't been following all of the meetings right. that have been happening in the last few months just because it's been very busy. Um, but 
you know, just watching the ones that I, I have seen and going to a couple of them, you know, there's a lot said by our mayor and counselors. And I guess it's been over a month since I've been to one in person. So, right. you know, I don't right. know what the conversation sounds like right now, but it, I mean, I think we all know that it's been an interesting, um, well, I don't know if interesting is the word, but it's been it's disheartening wonderful. sometimes um, yes. to hear yeah. some of the conversation up there. And yeah. And I think people are actually um, um, dismayed when they find out that council's actually considering bringing her back. It, yeah. It's, it, yeah, they are, I was they there. They're surprised uh, mm-hmm. and dismayed. I was there because when, why would you why when, would you do that? Right. Why would you do that? Well, I, I mean, yeah. I certainly can think of reasons why if you had an employee that you know got into some kind of trouble that you may reconsider their employment, you know, good or bad. And so I guess obviously you you know more details than I do, but I I can see instances where, you know, it would just be a conversation or it would be some kind of training or something like that. But I think that it's the repetition just from what we know about with Coos Bay and, and here and the, yep. the type of role that she's in is concerning for me. But, um, you know, I'm also in a position to where I have authority over funding and authority over employees and authority over the direction of an entire agency, which is... Not the same, but similar in a, in a way on a very small scale. So well, and I, I think that you are expected as the head of an organization to um, to ha- to actually have a higher standard of conduct. Oh right? yeah, I mean, <laughs> right. Your ethics need to be squeaky clean. They just they just do. But also, and- it does it does occasionally feel like um, you know. And this is I'm certainly not a martyr to this, and I don't complain, but. It certainly does feel like this job is, um, you know, I take the thank yous where I can get them because mm-hmm. it's never enough on either side. You know, there's you can never right. please everybody. And so I understand that from a leadership p- perspective. And so I have, you know, empathy for that, but that's not what we're talking about here. And so no, um, no. We're, we're talking no. about a person who is in a position of power in, it'd be like me stealing from my organization. Right. So and, it's different. You know, and it and it happens again, right? It's not like this is a one-time thing, right? So, so you know, I, I fully understand the whole thing about giving somebody a second chance. But at this point, I think this is her third, not her oh, second, yeah. right? If you, Coos Bay was one, this is two. She's on her third chance. So it's like, really? Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm just, you know, well, I'm not sure about this. And I know that, you know, people think that, well, you know, she's been with the city for so long and she knows how to run the city and, you know, she's she's really good at her job and all of that. But, you know, frankly, she hasn't been doing her job for seven months and the city is running just fine. I'm not hearing any Well, I did see some date and spelling errors on those uh, notices that go out, but... (laughs) I was like, dang, they really, really need yeah. some support there. Um, but yeah. no, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I haven't, I guess, noticed a whole lot of difference, but I'm not down there all the time. So, well, I yeah. think that we as taxpayers would notice a difference if something was really wrong, right? I mean, if, 
Well, it just they feels wrong by listening to the council meetings. And it, it, yeah. And it's no, what's know. really interesting is when I went to that one meeting, I didn't actually go there because of the Janelle situation. I went there because of the potential um, legislation for funding for homelessness. And so I went down mm-hmm. there to speak on that. And there were a lot of people there that were outspoken about the the rays. Um, yep. The and so, and, yep. and those are not necessarily people that are normally in alignment with anything I would be in alignment with. Right. Um, but I, I think this is a, is a nonpartisan issue. This is, you know, do you trust, you know, yeah. Ms. Howard to actually be the CEO that you can look up to for the city of Brookings? And, yeah. you know, and, I, I think the, it's res- what I'm hearing is a resounding no to that question. Mm-hmm. The council evidently thinks that, you know, people don't actually care. And well, some do, and I I don't think that the people that were down there talking or the people that are upset about this are overreacting or um, making a mountain out of a molehill. I I think it is a real risk. The city's already under multiple risks right now with. Um, a lawsuit that was just won by an individual with a disability, and then mm-hmm. a lawsuit with a, uh, the you know with St. Timothy's, and mm-hmm. I mean I don't know what else there is, but it just certainly in the last few years you know we've had a lot of huge risks come up for the city, and so I would think that their you know legal counsel or interim or somebody would be talking about this, and so I hope that that's happening but i it sounds like from what uh you know i hear in the meetings that they're kind of they already have their mind made up so and i i can't imagine that the insurance company for brookings is oh, yeah. pleased with this mm-hmm. right because i would think that this would be a risk and and particularly if the city council is going to put her back into a position um, of trust, a, a fiduciary position. Well, yeah. I, it, when they know, well, that I wonder she was arrested how long... for shoplifting. I mean, how do you do? How do you justify that? Maybe there's a, I don't know. Maybe there's a trial period. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how long those things take to catch up. Certainly with the lawsuit, I'm, you know, they maybe they're waiting until it's all said and done. I don't know if they see yeah, maybe. the lawsuit itself as a risk or um, – and so with this, I guess it would be what's the likelihood of litigation? You know, are, right. is the community going to sue the city? Probably not. So um, is there a risk to the city? Um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know because it didn't – it wasn't something that happened within the city. So, I mean, it was within the city, but not within but the city finance department. it wasn't part of your department. job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and it, and it wasn't actually city money that. Right. Which is why I think that, 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 you know, maybe not everybody, you know, especially those on the city council are thinking that it's any kind of a uh, an issue, but it it is. I mean, it it is. It still is. Well, just think about if it was somebody else, right? If it if it was somebody other than Janelle Howard who shoplifted, what would the consequences be? Uh, I don't think they'd get their so hundred and fifty one thousand yeah. dollar a year job back. So I have to <laughs> I have to share a 
uh, I'll share a little story and I'll, I'll make sure it's very de-identified, but there's an individual in our community who, um, this person has some disabilities and is older and they were, uh, they, they purchased an item at Fred Meyer and then left. And after walking down the street, they were stopped by, um, officers and they were trespassed from the store. And that was, um, I don't remember how long ago, not, you know, within a few months. And so this person, because of some of their disabilities and they're just very, I mean, they just have anxiety and, and don't want to deal with these kinds of things. Um, they had legal advice to, um, fight that situation and Mm -hmm. explain it and show proof and got too nervous and just pled guilty and they are now trespassed from the store for no reason and so and you know this person does live on the street so certainly Mm -hmm. it does feel different and i'm not i don't think oh everyone should be held to that standard then everybody everybody should be looked at as a suspect i'm just saying those are two polar opposite outcomes for a very similar situation um, mm-hmm. because it did not appear that this was paid for, but there was a receipt. And so yep. it would have been easy, even, you know, even I think the judge was a little bit confused why this person did not fight it. But, you know, oh, oftentimes... That's so sad. Mm-hmm. Did, they, did they not have an attorney? I mean, you'd think that the attorney would say, shut up, don't plead guilty. <laughs> yeah, so it if it's under a certain... I don't remember what the specific situation mm. is, and I can't really mm-hmm. go into a lot of detail, but right. no, right. the short answer is no, they did not have an attorney. Yeah. Would yeah. would would have had they chose the way to fight it. it. Yeah. But it because got too much. Isn't that the way it usually is, right? Poverty, again, takes yeah. a toll. And it's just, this is just the nicest, oh my gosh, the nicest person yeah. ever. Like, yeah. What a so, shame. Yeah, I just feel pretty awful about that. But, you know, again, and I'm not like, not trying to place blame on anybody, certainly about the situation. I just, the stark contrast for me is obvious because I see the polar opposite every other day. And so seeing this situation, you know, with our city manager is, it it is frustrating for me. And I'm sure a lot of the people um, in our community that have been held to a higher standard with less resources. So right, because this this is what privilege looks like. Yes, that, I mean that you certainly. would have, and pri- right? priv- privilege yeah. is not like some bad word. Privilege is, I mean, it's it isn't. You're, doesn't make you a bad person because you have privilege. But if you're ignoring that privilege um, and just saying like, "Well, I worked hard for this." I mean, other people work just as hard and do not have those opportunities. And so it's having that cushion. It's just having the cushion, whether you earned it or not. It, it is a privilege, and it does keep you from some of the worst of the consequences of your own actions. So it is a privilege. And I think, you know, part of the problem is that um, most of the people on the council right now uh, either grew up with her or know her family. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that, and that, again, is a whole nother layer of privilege where, you know, you, you have the privilege of knowing all of these right. people who are then going to go to bat for you. 
because well, that's what of that's their what privilege is. It's, it's yes. the sum of all of those minor impacts, and so privilege right. isn't. I I think that people get offended when we talk about that sometimes because mm-hmm. they think it's who you are as a person. It is the sum of all of those minor impacts, and some of them are bigger than others. So it could be the sum yeah. of some major impacts. You know, maybe your parents had millions of dollars in the bank, or maybe you're, I don't know, you know, maybe they owned their own home growing up. So it's right. all of these minor and sometimes major things that make an impact on us and help cushion us. And so, you know, it's not that it's a bad thing um, that, you know, your parents worked really hard and my dad did too. You know, my dad mm-hmm. worked really hard. He, mm-hmm. I got to go, um, I got to take you know, like 20 bucks every Friday and Saturday night and go to karaoke when I was like 15, 16, you know, I think even 14. And he always had cash for me. And so I could get in and get snacks and buy my friends snacks. And so, um, and I, and I had privilege and interestingly, you know, that's where I met my husband was at karaoke. So thanks, thanks to my dad and his extra $20 (laughs) or $40 a weekend. Um, and eventually I worked and, and had extra money. Um, but you know, I, when Matt and I met, I recognized, oh, I have this cushion and you, and he does not. And so to me, it didn't seem strange at all that, you know, I provided resources Mm -hmm. when we first met. And, and that's just, I think how you should act in a community and in a social system is just some people are able to provide but you know i derailed us a little bit but that's essentially what the um cushion is so yep and i i think that you know another part of the problem is that um in our in our small community a lot of times what happens is that people get appointed to committees um, you know, let, let, let's say a, mm. an opening on a committee comes up. So it's like the planning committee or something. And before that announcement is even made to the yeah. general public, yeah. before it's even made, they've already chosen somebody else to like, fill I already that know spot. what you're going to say because I've thought that so many times. It's um, so frustrating. I think one time I caught it ahead of time and wrote an email to like the mayor or one of the counselors or something, but I don't even know if they opened that email. And so, yeah, that is, it, it's difficult for sure. Um, I imagine there's probably some kind of application process where you could keep one on file. Um, although yeah, I but never for, actually for asked. Every, for every committee? I mean, I don't know. you know. <laughs> how, how would you do that? So you'd put an application in for the budget committee and the planning commission, and oh yeah, you know, yeah I guess you'd have the, to, right? Because you, you have, have to, to specify why you want to be on that committee. So and you do have to specify why you want to be on that particular. No, so committee. they. I mean, that must be. Um, that must be stacking the deck. Yeah, that must be them talking to people ahead of time because they they are very specific to those committees and they're time sensitive because I've seen those applications. I've read almost mm-hmm. every time there's an appointment, I, I read the application mm-hmm. and they're usually within days of the appointment. And so yeah. they must be um, kind of already identifying people. And I'm not really sure how they um, choose that or how they how do that. How they but. do that, right? How yeah. do they do that? Yeah. <laughs> must not be the I, only know, one. I I don't know for sure, obviously, mm-hmm. um, but I have never been tapped 
to be yeah, on. Yeah, well, I don't. Not think... after that first time when I volunteered. Oh, how to be did on the you? Yeah, committee. how did you get on that? I volunteered, and they didn't know who I was. When was and this? And that's really the bottom line, because as soon as they know who you are, then you don't get tapped anymore. I mean, unless you're one of them, right. unless you're one of the good old boys that, you know, they they want to stack their committees with. But, right. it, you know, I mean, if you look at the city council right now, so we've got five people on city council, and all of them, all of them have been here at least 20 years, all mm -hmm. of them. And three of them grew up here mm -hmm. and, in fact, talked about their, you know, high school days and stuff. It, it, it seems like, and, and grew up with Janelle. So I was going to say, but but I have two, and that yeah. certainly doesn't give me any kind of footing. I think no, it doesn't. Might trip doesn't. me up. Yeah, but but that's because we know who you are, mm -hmm. right? And and you are not you're not one of them. It's you know. I am more than they think. More than they I think, think. that <laughs> I think that um, there's definitely um, misconception from a. Okay, it's actually not even a lot of people. It's just a few kind of louder people that I'm basically like, oh, the other, like another homeless person, advocate person. And that's kind of it. But, um, you know, there are a lot of, a lot more people in the community that know what I'm about and what I do that has nothing to do with that. Or really just because it's this community, I'm doing this work because it's Brookings, not because this is who I am and what I'm about. So, um, yeah, it's interesting when I hear things about me that I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I hear things about me all the time. But, <laughs> like, I, really? but I do Who think, <laughs> yeah, I do think that, that um, and I, I actually think that there's at least one city councilor up there that understands this, because I do talk to Ed somewhat frequently. And, I mean, you know, we just talk about work stuff. And so... I, I think he understands more of my perspective than maybe some might give him credit for. But, um, yeah, I, I think that that's probably how the majority of people see me. And so I, I can't imagine I would get selected for any committees, although I would definitely apply. There's several that I would love oh, to yeah. Um, yeah. just and learn. And the reality about. is that you don't have to have been born and raised here to have good ideas about sure. what would no. help the city run better. <laughs> Right. In fact, no. it might actually be a benefit if you had been living in some other community some of the time in your life and actually knew how other yeah. communities worked. There are definitely times that I'm like, oh, you know, I can see that unfortunately it it is about bringing in outside capacity and outside information. Um, but, you know, as someone who was born and raised here, leaving the community and learning that and experiencing it and then being like, oh, that's what's missing here. You know, not maybe as black and white as, oh, that's the thing that's missing, but just like, oh, this is not a perspective that we have there and mm -hmm. I can see why and maybe we can address that as a an a infrastructure issue, you know, right. just right. especially in city government. But um, yeah, well... And it's not like everything just stays the same, you know? Life is not static. Life no. continues mm -hmm. to evolve and change. So the problems that 
were here 20 years ago are not necessarily the problems that, that we face today or the right. problems we're going to face 10 years down the road. So it really might be a good thing to get some new perspectives. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And I, I think change is one of, I mean, change has been so good for us as humans. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I can cite all kinds of references over the last hundred years since the depression where we've shifted as a society and been better off, but certainly yeah, um, exactly. getting outside perspective. Well, I'm going to hope that eventually they decide that rather than putting their friends on committees, they will put the best qualified people on the committees. I mm. guess I always live in hope. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> so let's let's move on to the pit count because I think that that's an amazing and fascinating thing. So what is the pit count? Uh, it's definitely something. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, we just wrapped it up yesterday, although we are still going to be able to um, continue on for the next week or so as we see people that we didn't get you know, um, yesterday, but so basically it's called the point in time count and it is because point it is a specific in time. Mm -hmm, okay. point mm -hmm. in time. So it's a single point in time that the entire mm -hmm. country, um, counts basically does, you know, the entire uh, country really. Yeah. It's, it's national. And so wow, okay, every county has a continuum of care or at least is overseen by some type of continuum of care. And so ours is the rural Oregon continuum of care. And we have, um, I can't remember how many counties are a part of that. And so basically they send out all of these. Um, we have an app this year and last year, which I, I remember doing it in 2016 when it was paper. <laughs> and, hmm. um, the first year I did it, I was out till like 11 o'clock at night, um, doing these counts. You just do these interviews. It's quite a, few questions and you just and who are go, you talking to who are you you're talking to anybody that is out on the street that's sleeping on the street that's sleeping in um they have a shelter count as well so there's a sheltered mm -hmm. homeless count and a unsheltered homeless count and then an unsheltered observation which is when somebody doesn't want to give information or you see mm -hmm. them in an area where you're not able to do outreach to you right. could just do an observation count and that still counts um, but you're basically going out and interviewing them. You usually have supplies. I mean, if you really think about it, like there's not much incentive for somebody who's out on the street to help you with something by sharing a bunch of their details. And mm -hmm. so we usually have a lot of supplies and things like that as kind of a, mm -hmm. really as a thank you. But even if they don't answer questions, we still give them supplies mm -hmm. because it's, we just. What kind of supplies are you giving them? We, so this year we had, um, there's usually dry bags or backpacks. Um, mm -hmm. The last couple of years, there's been dry bags over here. And we ordered some additional backpacks because some people had requested that. So the dry bags is just you, it's like a, uh, I don't know what the material is, neoprene or something. And then you put all the stuff in it and it rolls a little bit and then clips. And they can mm. clip that over another bag or, you know, over their shoulder. So... We have those bags, and then we put hygiene kits in there. We put socks. Um, the backpacks, we had some extra supplies. So we had flashlights and um, 
hats and mittens and things like that. So, or gloves. Hmm. And then we kind of loaded them up with snacks and water bottles and whatever else we had in the center. So we did, there's called brush count, which is when you go out and you do street outreach. You go out to, you can go out to like riverbeds and places like that. But we didn't go as far this year as we did a couple years ago. Um, And we also, you know, it's, it's for one specific night of the year. So this year ours was um, January 27th for Curry County. It's usually Mm -hmm. one of the last days in January. And so it's not, it may not be the same here as every other city, but it's always the last week. So, um, yeah, we basically had people who go out and do the brush count and hit the streets. And then we had people at the office, um, for Brookings, St. Timothy's had a site and then the food bank also had a site. And then in Gold Beach and Port Orford, um, Curry Homeless Coalition had a site and I don't remember where it was in Port Orford, but they did a count. In both areas. So we got a Curry I County I remember you count. telling me, and it was probably a few years ago, that um, that you had gone out in the brush. You were, you were yeah. like, out there. <laughs> yeah, the, we did. Yeah, and, you know, you'd come across little camps that were set up and stuff that, you know, basically, unless you knew where you were going, you didn't know they were there. I mean, that was just... Yeah, there's some um, that are more discreet than others, especially up in Mm -hmm. the riverbeds and the BLM Mm -hmm. roads. And Mm -hmm. so I think one of the, you know, up South Bank, there's quite a few areas, even up North Bank a ways. And then we went up Winchuck. And so up Winchuck, there's some... um, pullouts that are off to the side and people have, make trails down in there. Mm-hmm. And so there's sometimes camps kind of actually out in the middle of nowhere. And right. you, a lot of them you can actually see from the roads or we work with the forest service to kind of figure out where they are. Cause they actually mm-hmm. do a pretty good job of keeping track of where everybody's at without always running them off. You know, if there's a problem and there's oh, a lot of trash, yeah. um, they definitely will. But Sometimes it's just a little bit easier to kind of let them be because there's not trash or not a bunch of stuff and, right. you know, there's nowhere to really put them and they'll just come back. So, because right. um, obviously it's a little bit more treacherous sleeping in in the city limits and, you know, closer to town. But boy, so. wouldn't you think that it would be more treacherous to sleep out in the wild with well, the animals. Yeah. I know, I mean, right? <laughs> well, that tells you something because it is, you it know, does. they're definitely, um, and yeah. it's also, you know, there's, we do have some vigilante activity and that's increased mm. in the last couple of years. And I've really? heard specifically in the last um, seven or eight months that there's been a huge increase um, from vehicles to people. And so trying to hit people or, um, you know, trying to hit them with their doors uh, oh or throwing God, something from is, the vehicle. Mm-hmm. What is the matter with you? <laughs> yeah. Why would you, why would you I mean, on purpose hurt somebody? Why? There's always been people like that for every, you know, era and every culture and whatnot. So we definitely have people here and mm. sometimes it can get pretty serious. So we have, there's several people right now that are kind of, um, you know, not, they're just a little bit on edge. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but anyway, so we, there are some actual camps, um, that are pretty mm-hmm. far out because people don't want to be closer to town. 
Unfortunately, we didn't really get to do much of a brush count this year other than um, kind of the city limits and then some of Harbor. So I actually mm-hmm. went down into the port and then the outreach team went, well, all the way to the other end of Brookings and, you know, checked out a lot of the camps that we do know of. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, we did get, I think it's it's kind of hard to throw out numbers and the numbers, you know, and I can talk about that too, but there's certainly a reason why we talk about the numbers, but I think what we are missing is why the numbers can't necessarily be trusted. And it's mm-hmm. not because there's an inflation of the numbers. It's it's because there's a problem with the way that we're counting and there's a problem with this this method of funding services. So this count is essentially used to fund our housing, um, a lot of our housing. It's used for the federal government to kind of um, understand where they need to budget for housing. And, hmm. you know, it's there's a massive underrepresentation of numbers. So that's, so with I an, think, a lot uh, of With a massive mm-hmm. underrepresentation, then the, the federal government, if that's the money that they are funneling in here to deal with our housing issues, they don't know just how severe the housing issue is. Yeah, well, I mean, they definitely know that we're not hitting the mark with this, but I'm not sure that they have a a better solution right now. There's been a lot of ideas thrown out. Um, Certainly, Mm -hmm. we do a lot of coordinated entry over the years, you know, instead of just one point in time, um, Mm -hmm. we do have housing lists that certainly, you know, if we were to refer to housing lists or coordinated entry into these systems, you know, where basically an agency who works with people who are homeless puts them into these systems and they're, you know, statewide systems that are, it's actually nationwide, but statewide as far as like what you could see within the system. So if somebody was receiving services in Portland or in Coos Bay, and then they came down here and I went to enter them into the system, it would show them as already somebody who has received services. So it helps to not duplicate data. Mm-hmm. And these would be much better systems to pull information from than right. um, the point in time count. So as much as I want to say it was a, you know, it was a success, because for all intents and purposes, it is. We got people supplies, we, you know, we distributed resources, which is always helpful. And we did get a, a decent picture. Um, we did meet people that we haven't seen before. Um, So it's certainly successful, but there's a lot of um, data to show that it's actually harmful and that we probably should be thinking of other solutions. So, yeah. So in in terms of numbers then, um, what were you seeing this year? So for us, now we had, I think four or five volunteers out of the office and then um, the two team members that head out into the field. And then I don't know what that looked like for St. Timothy's. I know they had several volunteers up there um, and the food bank, I'm not sure as well. So I don't know what their count looked like either, but ours, we counted about 50. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, until it's fully calculated, we won't really know, you know, because right. maybe some of those 50 got counted somewhere else. And right. once it's all tallied, you know, that, that's going to cut out some duplication. 
because right. it's all digital now. So mm. we don't have to, like I was saying earlier, I, I used to be, you had to fill out these papers and um, I can remember on my first year in 2016, when I did the count, uh, I had a stack of papers. It was of course very cold. It was rainy. It was in Jackson County. And I was out till like 11 doing the count because there were so many people. I must've counted maybe 60 people myself that, well, mm. it might've been more like 40, but just that night alone. Um, and so at the end of the night, I had accidentally put the clipboard with all the papers on top of my car Oh no! no and I started to drive away and it's all de-identified. Like there'd be no way to know any of the information belonged to anyone. Um, because it's basically just coding, but right, right. I started to drive away and saw one last person. So I stopped and I was looking for the papers and found them oh. on top of the car. So that would have been all of the data. And yes. I had, like I said, at least 40 that I saw. And so, um, thank God we have an app now <laughs> because that's got to count for some underrepresentation oh, right there. Oh my God. And you can't be the only person who's oh, ever done that. Oh, no, that's what that. I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Think yes. think about the papers lost somewhere. Oh, no. Um, no. Yeah. So so we had, um, like I said, we had about 50. And then if some of those people were duplicates, they'll end up getting taken off at the end of the count. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. normally, normally that data comes out by April, I want to say. Mm -hmm. But okay. um, I'm not sure because last year we... I don't think we still have the, the data. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's still not out from last year. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, Well, if, yeah. you counted, if you counted 50, um, th mm -hmm. there must be a number that you automatically think, okay, if I counted 50, oh, there's yeah. probably at least 75 or 100. I, I think. Really? Wow. So I okay. think that there's at least 150 and. That's because um, I think that we leave a lot of people out of this count. We don't count people who are um, doubled up. We don't count people who are in motels unless it is an emergency shelter program. Um, mm. And we oftentimes miss, I mean, there's there's just so many reasons why uh, this is an undercount. And so I would suspect there's at least 150, and that's probably still not counting um, people who are doubled up. I mean, think about all the people that live in our motels locally. Right, so right, and and I've heard several times that um, there's a large number of kids who are basically couch surfing. Right. On their yeah. Friends' couch, basically. Yeah, and and so if they are, um, what is the? I can't remember the exact term, but basically um, unaccompanied youth. So if they mm -hmm. are unaccompanied youth, um, there's definitely some serious deficiencies in the point in time count in being able to count youth, um, especially LGBTQ youth and many, you mm -hmm. know, people of color. So it definitely, it, and that's because we just don't have a lot of culturally, culturally, we don't have a lot of um, ways to meet those needs and make it safe. I think that's actually one of the reasons we undercount in general is because, you know, even for us, we had a police officer that assisted us with the count and it's the community resource officer, but that still does some, sometimes, um, you know, 
Well, for one, there's no prohibition against the police coming back. You know, if we were to take them out to camps or something, Mm -hmm. um, there's no prohibition saying that they can't come back and, you know, arrest them or cite them. And so even though I don't think that that's something our police officers would do, I think that it certainly, um, you know, makes people hesitant to want to engage and they don't really want us coming to their camps with people that they don't oh, know. Of course not. Of course um, yeah. Not. So, <laughs> and, and sometimes they don't really want to come to us when there's yeah. law enforcement around. And so right. that does provide us with some, you know, when you do brush count, like in Jackson County um, on the Greenway and you have law enforcement, it provides a lot of safety, obviously, mm-hmm. but it certainly diminishes the count. So I don't know that we necessarily have that issue here. You know, our officers are not going out and doing brush count with us. Um, But that's one reason in many places that people get undercounted. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we also, uh, even though most volunteers do, well, I'd say it's probably 50-50. About half the volunteers every year that I've been involved, both in Jackson and in Curry County, um, maybe half of them have been involved in a previous point in time count. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of inexperience there, especially if they don't have lived experience. And that's not that's not just coming from me. Um, HUD actually puts out with their report kind of a reasons why, you know, this count is not a good census for mm-hmm. the homeless population. And that that's part of it as well. So volunteers kind of not understanding how to to get the data or not really understanding how to be culturally appropriate. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes we get lower numbers. So Mm -hmm. yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of flaws in it, but I think it's the only thing that we uh, are using right now. But it is the only, it's the only tool, right? It's not the only tool. It's the only one we're we're really using. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that there's an argument right now that's being made to uh, shift to, like I said, using coordinated entry, um, mm-hmm. using just different different types of data. Um, I certainly mm-hmm. think that they need to fund, you know, university-backed research, and especially in larger cities. You know, they're probably not going to come in and do research in Brookings. But um, I think that it would help if they actually funded the research as opposed to putting it on the backs of these smaller agencies. And, you know, if, if an, if a community is underfunded, it's being underserved, the count is going to be low. And in return, it's going to continue being underfunded. And so it's not a good model to build capacity. Um, and there's just better ways. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it would be, um, it would be unfortunate if, the amount of money that is being funneled in just keeps being less than and mm-hmm. less than and less than. Because then you never get out of the hole, right? I mean, you know, it's it's not like the number of unhoused people is declining. It's no. not, right? No. Um, in fact, there was... Uh, a change in the way that HUD defined homelessness um, several years ago. I, w- I want to say this was in either in 2011 or 2018. I can't remember. Um, but they basically 
branched off a type of transitional housing so that it was no longer counted in the data. And in return, our numbers went down. And not because more people got housed. There were still more growing amounts of homelessness. So we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Um, And there's, like I said, there's so many different types of research-based that we use for everything else. We use, we use um, multiplicity sampling, which is where they, you know, do samples from certain communities and towns, and they are able to actually use that to fund services. We do that with a lot of things. Um, we just take small samples and, and you know, figure what it would look like. We do that with uh, a lot of our economy. So mm-hmm. it would make sense for us to do that with housing, for sure. Why but, aren't we, do you think? Um, what, what is you it? You know, <laughs> I don't really know it? other than We just don't it's like government. those homeless people. Um, we don't like them. <laughs> you know, it takes so much to change federal um change the direction of our federal government and the legislature. Mm-hmm. It, it it doesn't sometimes, I mean, obviously the one thing and the reason why I'm so motivated is the one thing that I saw from COVID and learned um, above everything else was that everything we know could shift in a day if we needed it to. And yeah. we would, I mean, I'm not going to say everybody would be okay. There's been a lot of um, negative outcomes, not just from COVID itself, but from the lockdown measures, whether they were warranted or not, is not really the argument here. And so there have been a lot of negative effects from a global pandemic, as you would imagine there would be. And so certainly, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot we could, there's so much we could go into about all of that too, but well, it, it just seems like if we make up our minds ahead of time that we don't really like the homeless people and, you know, they're, they're not really that important because, I mean, really, do they vote? I mean, come on, right? It's not like they're, they're going to vote us out of office, right? So we don't really care about them. And therefore, we don't have to fund anything that is going to improve right. that lot. Well, it's certainly not as threatening of a um, situation as, you know, if the school system was failing. We'd have mm-hmm. mothers and fathers at City Hall, you know, Screaming. beating the doors down. Yeah. But um, we don't really have a lot of people who have the capacity to beat down the door when it comes right. to homelessness. And so um, that's part of the issue. And I... You know, I'm not really sure what it will take for people um, because what I another thing that I, I've taken away from the pandemic that was sho- a little bit shocking to me as someone who was homeless for so long was how many people would say to me, um, you know, this isn't who I am. And like in terms this of was being their, homeless. Yeah, they would come to mm-hmm. us for services and they would say, you know, it's it's not what you think, like this isn't who I am. I mm-hmm. and and that to me that tells me that as a society we've told people that homeless people are bad and inherently bad. And, and so yeah. Right. And that's the message we give to everybody. And mm-hmm. so 
that obviously I know that's the message we give to people who are homeless, but we're, mm-hmm. we're clearly giving that message to everybody else mm-hmm. because if they become homeless, now they think I need to defend myself so that people don't think I'm inherently bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm one of them. Yeah. Right. And that's just not, that's just yeah. not what it is. And so we've, you know, I've had to really face that with people. When they come in and they, it's story after story about how, like, this is my first time being homeless. Um, and I've never been in this position and I've never had to use these services and I promise I'll pay it back. I mean, they're just so ashamed of having to access services. And, um, it's yeah, so it's, wrong. I mean, it's just so wrong. It's right? telling to me. Yes. It's very it telling about how we, think of that as a society. And how is winter shelter going? You're in week four of it at this point? Week four? Um, yeah, week we're five? we're heading into week five and okay. we'll be, I think, we'll, well, we've been full for almost the entire mm-hmm. time. Um, mm-hmm. We have one room right now that we're able to shift and so we're, we're, we're going to work on that next week. There's I think at least 70 people on um, that have applied, which means that there's probably close to 55 people on the wait list because we haven't gotten that many people in. Um, The majority of people that have gotten into the shelter have just stayed in the shelter because they're, you know, they're either very, very um, elderly or they have disabilities and, or um, we do have a few people who are, looking for work and um, really kind of just working on some of their goals. And so mm-hmm. it's going really well, um, but it's it's disappointing because we had to turn so many people away and we haven't necessarily turned them away. We just, um, we're, I don't think we're going to get to them. And so, you know, we're trying to decide at what point do we tell people, um, you know, we, we're going to close the wait list. So we just haven't. Mm-hmm. We've left it open and let people continue applying, and we just are How honest many beds? with them. Uh, How many ten. Beds do you have ten? Wow! And seventy and people applied. Holy moly! Yeah, and not everybody is eligible. The only reason they wouldn't be is if they weren't able to be on the property, if there was a mm-hmm. previous issue or something like that. Mm-hmm. So some some were not, but most were, and um, and then we have a priority list. So mm-hmm. um, you know if the majority of the people that applied are not really on the priority list, but they're, you know, we tried to prioritize every application. So um, if they had a disability, you know, we tried to make sure that that was, uh, was a priority or if they were older or had kids. So it's been um, a learning experience for us and a little bit frustrating. I mean, I just can't imagine, right? I'm, I'm 72. So thinking about being my age and suddenly being on the street and also being disabled, maybe even, I mean, I'm, I don't consider myself disabled now, but. I don't know, think my, you are. Yeah, but my hip and knee are having some issues, okay? That's... They talk to me a lot about their issues. <laughs> but, you know, if you're living on the streets, any condition that you have is going to get worse. It's not going to get better. If you have arthritis or, you know, any of that stuff, it's all going to get worse. Yeah. I just can't yeah. imagine what that would 
be like to have to figure out how to keep going? Yeah. Just, well, and I mean, you're not even, you wouldn't even be remotely close to um, older than the oldest person we have in there. So, and we do have one person, well, there's just several medical situations. Mm -hmm. um, and one person in particular is, you know, having surgery or a medical procedure done. And so, yeah, it's been, um, I mean, they, they wouldn't be able to do it had it not for getting into a space. You know, that's not necessarily um, like kudos to us. I'm just, I appreciate that this is available. Oh, absolutely. And, and think about that. You know, you, you need surgery, but you can't get it if you don't have a place to recover. <laughs> you know, and yeah. 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 And yeah. that's just, yeah. I mean, that's I don't even want to be crazy. sick without a place to recover. Oh, so. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. So Project Turnkey, how is all of that going? Um, well, there's right now it's kind of a... There's a lot of wait and see and just sort of mm -hmm. conversation and planning on the back end. So mm -hmm. I uh, I don't necessarily – actually, I don't have any updates on it yet, but mm -hmm. there's we're, we're mostly working on a lot of the contracts on the side and mm -hmm. trying to figure mm -hmm. out how all we're going to be um, funding it. Mm -hmm. And so I – yeah, but the, there's one space in particular that I think that Oasis is looking at, um, but – it's kind of hard to find something exactly what we want. So right. really just trying to find something that's out of the way. And right. um, yeah. So what are you looking towards um, for next year and winter shelter? Like how many, how many beds are you looking at? Like trying to find your own place? I mean, what, what's the sort of the plan? Um, so our, Right now, our, I think, strategic plan is to try to find enough um, capacity building grants to be able to expand our team. And mm -hmm. then if we get to a space where we think we could manage a shelter, you know, looking for a space that we can purchase and use as a, a shelter space or transitional housing, you know, there's definitely a lot of opportunity out Um even though, like I said, housing is often underfunded, with the pandemic came kind of a surge in funding and resources into this area. And I, right. I think really that is because it is a public health issue. You know, housing is a public health issue. Um, in fact, I, I don't know if anybody knows this, but a lot of our renters' rights came from public health because of the disease that was spread in the tenements in the, really? you know, early 1900s, huh. late 1800s, uh -huh. um, and on. And so it was not because they wanted to necessarily save the lower class, however, but it was because, hey, we recognize public health is a major issue and, um, and they had to put the, they had to put the onus somewhere. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's either, okay, well, we force renters to straighten up and pay for these repairs and make sure the house is safe or we force owners to do it. And mm. obviously renters don't have those resources. And no. so that's really how a lot of renters rights came out from public yeah. health. So it's a major public health issue. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's funny that we would forget 
that something like housing would be a public health issue. How, how oh, absolutely, do you forget yeah. that, right? Yeah, and and what's this is the funny thing about change too, because there are, I do hear um, a lot of grumbling. I mean, mostly it's from the landlord side of things, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but a lot of grumbling about renters' rights and a lot of things like that, and how you know it's a liberal agenda, and it it was not at the time. In fact. Mm-hmm. It was very much the other side of the coin. And, um, you know, early uh, laws in housing had to do with preserving the status quo of the upper and middle class. And so, and often they weren't enforced in the middle and upper class. You know, they didn't have inspections like they did in the tenements and slums. So, um, yeah, it's all, it's... It's very interesting. That's a whole other topic I go could go off on. I'm glad but, you're taking um, economy classes. That though that's actually doing. the health systems. Yeah, that's the health. That's system. the public health okay. classes. Well, yeah. I'm glad you're doing that too. But they both, you know, because then you're you're really learning about how the economy ties into these yeah. things. Yeah. So yeah, it's been amazing. It's been interesting, but that's kind of um, we want to do some work with public health, and we want to do some work with uh, permanent supportive housing too. So. Good. Good, um, good. There's definitely funding for that now. All right. Well, we've got, you know, lots of stuff that we will be talking about in the future. Um, keep checking in with you about our more vulnerable population because, yeah, you know, they, they say that a, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And, you know, yeah, we've we keep demonstrating few. that, don't we? <laughs> we've got a few I to work on. So we're out of time again, Diana. Um, Thank you so much for chatting with me again. Keep up that good, meaningful work that you're doing for those folks in the community who really can't take care of themselves. I mean, it's, you know, nobody's going to do it if you don't. Well, and and there are a couple of other agencies, I will say, that are, you know, supporting with shelter and doing stuff. So I'm grateful for everyone. Kudos to them as well. Mm-hmm. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please make your voices heard about the Janelle Howard issue. If you can't attend the Monday 5.30 council meeting, at least email the counselors about your thoughts. Remember that in darkness, democracy dies. And your silence is interpreted as agreement. This is Candace Michelle for our community.